are so privileged to pick this Sunday to come and be together and share not only that amazing worship, but to share a connector of the power of God and the love of God through Steve Ornder. Thank you. If we could lower that bar a little bit, that'd be good. Do a little mumba. Okay, I travel with lots of accessories, so uh, we're going to do some interactivity this morning. Everybody ready for that? Woo, let's do it, right? Okay, so we're talking about uh, mobilizing mission. So how do we take what we do in here and take it out there? Out there. It's okay to talk about mobilizing our mission, right? Because what we're really doing is we're doing what Jesus called us to do. It's not a strategy. It's not a manipulation. It's walking out what he's called us to do in the marketplace, right? And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I've had some successes with that, and I've had some horrible failures with that. But that's okay too, right? That's what life's about. So um, I'm going to, well, I'm going to add some visual helpers. These come with your 45th birthday. Okay, John 10.10. I came so that they can have real eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. John 10.10. So how many of us are experiencing that on a daily basis? You can raise your hand if you want. You don't have to, but I want to talk to all you guys afterwards too. Right? Because that's what Jesus said we should be able to experience. Right, So if we're in the marketplace and all of those around us are eternal beings just like we are, right? whether you are a believer or not, you're an eternal being. Do we get distracted by the circumstances of our lives and we miss the opportunity to have an eternal influence, perhaps, right? Day-to-day, right? Life, yeah. So uh, my hope today is to clarify some of the things that I've gone through in life that help me understand where I fit in the bigger picture. Everybody up for that? Okay. So first of all, how do we define the marketplace? Keith, the marketplace. This is in the Greek The place we spend our time when we are not at church for two hours each week. (laughs) Thank you, Randy. Randy always uses, you know, the Greek. So basically, it's the majority of our lives, right? And here's what you can't do this morning. You can't exercise the Western culture, yes, but rule, okay? So in the Western culture, we've developed this wonderful phrase, if I can find anything wrong with what has been said and say, yes, but, anything that comes after the but, I'm not responsible for. Right? Isn't that fascinating in life? I don't have to determine what is truth if I can just say, well, yes, but I don't think that's true. Then I don't have to determine truth. I can just say, yes, but. Get it? Okay. So this morning I'm going to ask you to put that kind of on the side because I got to the point I had like a master's degree in that, right? Because I could find the things and go, well, yes, but, okay? So reality is this is the definition of marketplace. So that means if I'm at home with kids, I'm in the marketplace, right? It doesn't just apply to the business marketplace. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Chad, thanks for your help up here in the front row. I appreciate that. At any point in time, you can say amen, yes, brother, (laughs) preach it, throw those out there. Okay. Let's go to the next slide. So here is the idea. If I have context, I can bring clarity. If I have clarity, I can bring influence. Got it? So context brings clarity. Clarity brings influence. And this is the way Jesus taught, right? He taught through stories and all those kinds of things. So my life context, as I've decided, as a 53-year-old man, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. So I've chosen for my life, when things come at me, that's the filter I see it through. That's what I've chosen. 
Okay? Now, that doesn't make me right and anybody else that chooses anything else wrong, but it gives me context in my life for where I am. It gives me clarity to be able to look at the situation, and ultimately, because I'm clear in what I'm looking at, I now have influence, potentially. Not manipulation. I have potential influence. You with me? Okay. So, love Proverbs. So let's take a look at me familia. I'm international. Okay. So on the left here, well, I'm on the right, and my hottie wife, Lori, right here. My hottie wife, Lori, is right there in the orange. Let's give it up for Lori. It's good. So most around here, I'm kind of known as Lori's husband. People don't really know who I am. They just know, oh, yeah, he's Lori's husband. So, And then Clay. You saw Clay up here. And Bailey, our daughter-in-law. She's here. And John, whom I'm very proud of. As well, he's a recent IU Kelly School of Business grad. Go, John! Yes, very proud of him. So that gives you a little bit of context for me and my family. Let's throw up some stats. It's always good to have stats too, right? So I was born in 1963, 53 years old. I'm Lori's husband, Clay, and John's dad. I'm also Don and Mary Jean Orinder's son, and I'm incredibly proud of that. Incredibly proud of that. And my mom's here today. Yeah, let's go, mom. Okay. Most people know me as a business guy, so I'm a business guy, right? Well, you know those business guys, so I'm, a, I'm one of those business guys. I'm an entrepreneur, started a company in 1999 with a bunch of folks. God blessed us incredibly in a lot of different ways. We ended up selling the company. It quadrupled in size. I ultimately retired last year for a number of different reasons, which I'll talk about later. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the business side of my life. But you know what's most important is I am a son of our Heavenly Father. Right? Just like you're a daughter if you've accepted Christ into your life. Son or daughter. Okay? So we have to understand kind of who we are before we can go much further. So let's talk about context for a second. Keith, throw that up there. So context. And these are my definitions. This is not Webster. Okay? You, you won't find these in Webster. Okay? Context is providing ample background to others, allowing them the ability to develop a complete understanding of a situation in a meaningful way. So in our life today, we have these little things that buzz at us every once in a while, right? One of these, okay? And that thing will hit you, and you're like, oh, this must be important. So you look at it, and you have no, no context of what's coming at you most of the time, right? It's a headline, or it's something, right? And it's like, oh, so I don't really have context on this, but how am I going to feel about this, right? So if you don't have context, how can you determine? Another good way to look at it. Guys, this is a great one. Your wife comes into you and says, or girlfriend, or just anyone that you happen to know, comes up and says, Steve, you got a haircut. And you say, yes. Okay, right? We're like, yes, yes, I did. Okay? You walk into your house at night, and you say, honey, you got your hair cut. You can't stop there. You cannot stop there, guys. I'm just telling you. You can't stop there. You have to add, it looks nice. Or, I love what you've done with it. Right? So you're adding context to your comment. You with me? Amen, brother? Amen, sister? That's important, right? So we're adding context. So if we have context, then we have the ability to add clarity. So let's look at the definition for clarity. Clarity results from having enough information and understanding of a situation to allow yourself to engage and participate in a situation at the relational or heart level. Right? Now I'm engaging. I'm not just watching it happen. I'm engaging in it. Make sense? Right? Because I have clarity, so I can commit to or I can choose not to commit to something, right? Okay. Um, let's go to the next one. Influence. In our culture these days, sometimes the word influence is not looked upon favorably. Well, you're trying to push your influence on me. Well, not really. I'm just trying to give you context so that you can clarify and ultimately have some influence. Influence is the ability to have real and meaningful input into another's life to the point that an individual considers change in viewpoint or lifestyle. Okay? That's what Jesus did. Let's not kid ourselves, right? He wanted to come into people's lives and change their eternal perspective and ultimately they're, they're, give them eternal life. So, yeah, we want to have influence. It's okay, right? Okay, so the 930 people had a little bit more mojo. It's all good. So let's talk about the Bible for a second. The influence of the Bible 
is to focus on love. Right? That is the ultimate message of the Bible. Love. Right? Agape love. Not just Justin Bieber love or country music love. Right? We're talking about a sacrificial love. Right? I think that that's kind of interesting. What is the influence of our society today? Fear. Fear. Right? See the headline. Oh, what about this? What about that? Right? The influence of our society is fear. And, well, that's no, no strange thing to, uh, to our Lord and Savior, right? He knows what that's all about. How many times is the word fear mentioned in the Bible? Anybody? 365. Interestingly enough, one for every day of the week. Isn't that interesting? Kind of, kind of fascinating. Kind of fascinating. So let me give you a couple more examples. Are you with me so far? Okay. So I'm going to have all of you make a choice. And I want you to raise your hand based on which of these options you would rather have. And you cannot hedge. None of this. No short arms. Okay? No short arms. You have a choice. Would you rather have a million dollars or a penny doubled every day for 30 days? Raise your hand if you want a million dollars. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. million dollars. Great. First of all, both options, not bad, right? Okay, who would rather have the penny doubled? Great. And why would you have the, rather have the penny doubled? It's compounding, right? Okay. And you're like, well, yeah, everybody would want that. Well, what if you had to have a big surgery in about a week? And that surgery cost you $500,000. Somehow your context just changed. Now which would you rather have? A million dollars? Or as somebody said in the first service, well, I'd like to get terms on the penny doubled <laughs> so that I could have it in 30 days. <laughs> you know, that's an option, right? Maybe. I don't know. Right? But the context changed, so the influence changed with me. Okay. Let's talk about marriage or pre-marriage. Some of us are married. Some of us aren't. Some of us are considering it. Some of us would reconsider it. No. <laughs> so I'm going to draw a little timeline here. And we go through this thing called courtship. I'm going to simplify this by making it C, right? So we'd go through courtship, right? Then we go through this thing called engagement, right? Then we go through this thing that gets lots of attention. And that's what we call the wedding, right? The wedding's a big deal. Big deal, guys. Big deal. <laughs> big deal, okay? Then we go through this thing called the marriage. And it's... <clears throat> A bigger deal in time, but sometimes not really looked upon as a big deal when you're going through these. Because these are the hormonal stages. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. A few things going on there. And uh, yeah, so then this, so Lori and I have been doing premarital counseling for 25 years, something like that. Started when we were 12. <laughs> and one of the reasons, one of the many reasons we are so excited about premarital or even pre-engagement counseling is because we're talking about the begats. This is a big deal. If you read in Genesis, right, it talks about this person begat this person, who begat that person, who begat that person. So we're talking about your lineage, right? This is lifetime kind of stuff, right? So it's pretty important that we take the time to look at, at as many things here as we can because that's going to have an impact on the rest of our family line like on and on and on. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So we're big fans of pre-engagement and premarital counseling because then you get tools. You don't get everything fixed. You get tools to use when you bump into things. Anybody in here bump into things in their marriage? Yeah. Yeah, you can't raise your hand that much. <laughs> okay. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. From a contextual standpoint, again, this is an example, right? If you look at it and you say, well, you know, everybody goes through these stages. What's the big deal? Well, if you focus on the fact that this is the big deal, the marriage, then it changes your perspective of the earlier steps. Okay, with me so far? Okay. Now let's look at a biblical example. It's good to use the Bible every once in a while as a source. So, Jesus in the marketplace. Most people are familiar with the water into wine example, right? Jesus' first miracle. So, John 2, 1 through 11. 
The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited into the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Like this. Dear woman, that's not our problem. How many of us have done that, right? Mom, it's not my problem, right? I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but the reality is she was his mother. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Okay. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars have been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions, which is always good. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it came from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. Interesting, right? The miraculous sign at Canaan in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. A lot of things going on there, right? Can I take a moment and take my jacket off? It's a little warm. Thanks, Kim. Appreciate the head nod. So what are some observations that we can learn from this? First of all, listen to your mom. Right? It's interesting because... In a scripture that I'll reference here in just a second, it says, I only do the work that I see my father doing, unless mom asks. (laughs) It seems like that's what's going on here, but I don't really think that that's true, right? So, always listen to mom, number one. Number two, isn't it interesting that Jesus basically said, my time has not yet come, but he went ahead and did it anyway. Kind of an interesting. But the thing I find most interesting about this is, he didn't turn the water into like iced tea or lemonade, right? I don't, I'm not really making fun of that. What I'm saying is, well, Lori and the boys and I and Bailey had an opportunity to go to Napa Valley, right? It's where they make some of the best wine in the world. We took a Segway tour. Sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Segway tour to go visit wineries. But one of the things that I realized through that process is how long it takes to create a good glass of wine. I'm not a wine drinker myself, but I mean, it's like the longer it ferments, the better it is, right? So he chose the liquid that takes the longest amount of time to actually get to a high quality as the example. And I can't tell you how many times I've read that story and just thought, oh yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. Like it happens all the time, right? But the reality is, if we don't have the context we missed some of the clarity in the, in the story. But the other thing that I noticed was it, none of this became about him. In the culture that we live in today, this doesn't say anything about how anybody even recognized right? what, what happened. The celebration just went on. He did not embarrass the host. Right? He didn't say, what were you thinking? I got you. Right? He, didn't, he didn't do any of that. The celebration went on, and he gave the best at the last. It's just interesting, right? So if that's the model we have to live from, have we ever found ourselves sometimes saying, oh, well, I'll be praying for you on that, and then sometimes we say something to somebody else? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's not our place. Maybe our place is to just continue to uh, prayerfully help people in that regard. So some good takeaways for me, at least. I'd encourage you to read through it and look at... Uh, Look at what you might be able to pull from it. So let's talk about some level setting for more clarity. This is a business term, I guess. Level setting. So before I want to move forward, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page as far as what our beliefs are. Number one, I believe that God gives each of us free will. Right? Praise God he woke us all up this morning. Right? And if he woke you up, guess what? He's got a plan for your life. That's a good thing. That's opportunity. Number two, God is good and he has good plans for you. He's got good plans for you. Three, per Jesus, always want to look what Jesus is saying, 
God's direction and priority for us to, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And again, this is agape love, right? This is sacrificial love. This is not that warm, fuzzy, not that it can't be, but it's not primarily warm, fuzzy love. It is, I'm willing to bypass my own good to help you in some way, right? Modeled by Jesus on the cross. So, let's look at how we see ourselves so that we might be able to spread this agape love a little bit better. Well, do I have any other? I have, a, I have some other level settings, sorry. God's provided us with the Holy Spirit to be in the midst of our lives, helping, revealing, and directing us. The Holy Spirit can show up anytime, and it truly is amazing when he does. Amen? Yeah, because then we're reminded again, it's not all about us. Our hearts, bodies, and minds can be programmed or influenced by focusing on things that serve no godly purpose. You think? My biggest crutch, ESPN. Right? And it's comfortable. Right? But what godly purpose, aside from you know, me learning more about statistics and otherwise, what godly purpose is it really? Serving? That doesn't make it bad, but if that's where I go when I get uncomfortable, if that's where I go when I just kind of want to veg, probably not the best thing. And it creates coasting, right? We don't want to coast in our lives. There's sometimes we do, but let's not live a lifestyle of coasting, right? So Jesus has gone to prepare a place to, for us to spend eternity with him. He's made plans for us because he loves us that much. And that's something we either believe or we don't believe, right? I'm not trying to be too abrupt, but it is. So let's talk about how we see life. I'm going to draw an arch. Can everybody see that arch? And on the left side, I'm going to put the word love. And uh, what I mean by that is agape love, right? Sacrificial love. And on the right side, pardon me, I'm going to put the word fear, right? Because they're kind of opposites, love and fear. And at the bottom, I'm going to put me and you. And at the top left, I'm going to put eternity. And I'm going to encourage us to think about how we see life. I'm going to put things in here like life experiences, pain, love, family. You get what I'm getting at? If we're here and we're looking through this filter, what do we see, number one, in front of us? And number two, how often do we want to gaze on eternity versus our circumstances? In the world that we live in, especially in the marketplace, we talk a lot about our circumstances. And the more we talk about our circumstances, the more I would say our ticker goes this way. Right? And that doesn't mean we can bury our head in the sand. That's not what I'm saying either. But we have a choice where we fix our gaze, so to speak. And if we focus on the eternal and then realize that these things, although significant, right? Think about upbringing, think about abuse, I mean, hard things biblically speaking, they pale in comparison to what Jesus represents for us and what he's done for us from an eternal perspective. Right? But me, I have to constantly be reminded of that. If not, I get caught up in the circumstances. Okay? Anybody hear me with that? Does that make sense? Okay. Amen, brother? <laughs> okay. Now let's take another look at kind of how we see ourselves and how we might see others. And this is three circles for me. Okay. So I'm going to call this AA, not in the traditional form, but attitudes and actions. So we walk our lives out in attitude and action, right? And some of the things that we do, we do because that's who we are. And other things we do, we do because of the way we'll be perceived by others. Yes? Yep. 
The other thing that we have in these circles is what we call our self-perception. Which you can say, my self-perception is, I'm awesome, I'm great, I don't think I've ever looked better, <laughs> right? Those kind of things could be, right? Or your self-perception could be, you know, people have, since my childhood, have defined me as, you're never going to be anything, you're, right? All those kinds of things fall into this self-perception circle. And then you have this thing called truth. So that is really the truth about you. Who do you really say you are? Who do we really think we are? Make sense? Okay. Three more circles? I think this might be my last drawing. <laughs> now, let's look at our relationships. This is really scary. Kim, from the first service, she kind of gave me a hard time about this one, but that's okay. We have different types of relationships. We have care-based relationships, which means I care about you, but I'm not really close to you, but I do care about you, right? We also have virtual relationships, which is like the number of Facebook likes you have. I'm not even going to go down the road of how many of those people really care about you, right? <laughs> Same thing for LinkedIn, but that's a care-level relationship, okay? Then you have what I'm going to call an influence-based relationship, right? So those are folks that you truly have life experience with and you have influence them on you and you on them. Make sense? Okay. And then what do you think this third one is? Intimate relationships. And intimate relationships are those people that you have in your life that you can share everything with. Like everything, everything. So 10 years ago, the average person had three to five people in their intimate circle of relationship. And you think about families and all those kinds of things, right? And they had five to ten people here and uh, 50 plus here. Talking with me? Yeah. Now, guess what the numbers are? It's interesting. One to three people in the intimate circle three to five people here, and ten plus here. It's fascinating, right? And yet what's really fascinating about that is some people, this is where Kim gave me a hard time, some people would count their pet in that intimate circle as one of their most intimate friendships. Now, is that bad? I, I can't say whether that's bad or good or anything in between. To me, it's just kind of sad, right? And that tells me that as a culture, we're doing this, right? We're, we're kind of folding in. And as we fold in, then we start to lose context of what our lives are really supposed to be about. And so with that in mind, think of the marketplace, right? Think of the people that you work with. Think of the kids that you're raising, right? How is it you want to influence those people so that their circles can be impacted, right? And think about this. If I sit down with you at the lunch table and I start talking about this intimate stuff and we just met five minutes ago, you're creepy. <laughs> That's the reality. You're just flat out creepy, right? Because I'm not ready for that yet. I got to go through these kind of steps, right? Okay? Because some of us, I've done, again, these are some of my mistakes, right? I've sat down and said, okay, well, if God's with me, then who can be against me? <laughs> well, that guy sitting next to me can't be, <laughs> right? You have to be able to walk through some relational steps. And I say that not exclusively because the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to do. But I need to be listening instead of out of my own will saying, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to do, right? Okay. So, everybody with me so far? Let's talk a little bit about how we identify ourselves, and then we'll move on to the next step, because I want to talk about Jesus' view. So the other thing that's happening in our society today is we all take tests to tell us who we are, right? Myers-Briggs, DISC, those are great, right? They show your tendencies, in my view. They don't define who you are. They show your tendencies. And we also are getting into things where we, do, we use a diagnosis as potentially an identity, okay? 
I'm not saying that those diagnoses are not legitimate, but they don't define who we are or who you are, right? I always kid around. I'm like, yeah, I took Myers-Briggs on my ESPN, right? <laughs> yeah. That doesn't exist, right? You know, I'm a high D on the disc. What are you, right? Like there's a class system associated with it, right? It's scary. It's scary. The intent is good to help me understand more about myself so that I can relate to you on a different level because I understand about you as well. But played to an extreme, anything can be, let's say, sideways. Okay? So who does God, who does Jesus say we are? That's really important. Here's the truth. You are a son or daughter of God. That's in John 1.12. Do we really believe that? Right? You're a new creature, creature, person. Old things have passed away. Yeah, I bumped my head a few times. That doesn't define who I am, right? I get to start over each day. If he wakes me up, I get to start over. That doesn't mean all the stuff I did before doesn't have its consequences, but I get to start over. You're God's workmanship, prepared to do good works. That would be workmanship, works, working. It's a good thing. You've been made complete in God, and God has great plans for you. Do we believe these things, really? Really? And if we do, then shouldn't we have a courage to go out into the marketplace and want to share that with other people? Because they're eternal beings. They're not just people around us, right? They have an eternal destiny. We all do. Hmm. We all do. So, yeah. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So, if we adopt Jesus' marketplace view, here's something that I thought was very important. It doesn't talk about, well, here are the 10 steps, right? Go out into the marketplace and do this. Or if you have the gift of evangelism, then this is what you do, but everybody else, you just watch, <laughs> right? That's another one that drives me crazy. Well, my spiritual gift is this. Well, that's great. That doesn't mean that everybody doesn't have the ability to do all the things, right? There are certain things that we are better at because we've been gifted in that, right? But everybody gets to play. Jesus gave them the answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So what if the pressure might come off a little bit if we got up every morning and we said, Father, what is it you want to do today in my life? Let's go back to our free will, right? Not, okay, I got this going on. Let me give you my list of things, right? Okay, got this going on, got this going on. Help me to make it through the day, and if you could, right? We can mail that in, right? Each morning if we get up and say, Father, help me to see those people in my life that you're working in their hearts and minds and souls. Help me to have my eyes up and tuned to people that you want me to engage with. What if, right? Now our circles change. Now our circles change. So, glad you're with me. So I like quotes because they give context as well. So here's a few quotes. The value of a promise is determined by the character of the person who is making it. Makes sense, doesn't it? So if God is making us promises, his character is pretty good, right? We, we can trust those things. Yep, yep. And I put dad next to that because my dad got me a quote book about 15 years ago. And whenever nobody knew who a quote was to be associated with, they put dad. I think that's great. That's the stuff our dad should be telling us. Right? That's good. Not that moms get left out. Okay? Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Proverbs. In this world you will have trouble. Let's do Western culture. I'm a Christian. Everything's cool. Everything's great. No. Not the way it works. Not biblical. Right? And then this hope. I, I think hope is such a, hard, a large part of our faith. Right? God gives us memories so that we can remember roses in December. He doesn't give us memories so that we can replay all those things that we screwed up. Right? It's so that we can see and hope and feel for what he's going to do in the future. Right? Remembering the beautiful things that he's done so that we can recall them from our memory at the right time. So, there's some eternal matters of life that really matter. But before that, let's go to the next slide. So, if we don't use our 
muscles in life, what happens? They atrophy. Yeah, yeah. So my dad got pneumonia. Um, I'm going to talk about him in just a minute, but he got pneumonia, and I got to go through the rehabilitation process with him. Well, after you lie in a hospital bed for weeks, you kind of have to learn to walk again. You have to learn to you know, push yourself up and all that kind of stuff. So I get to see that firsthand. Right? But what I found is if I don't exercise my engagement with people about the Lord on an ongoing basis, it atrophies and it gets harder to do. And it's, I believe, because of what I call the 90-10 rule. The 90-10 rule to me says if something happens 10% of the time, then a lot of people will avoid it 90% of the time. It's interesting, right? Because that 10% might happen instead of focusing on the 90%, right? So let me give you an example. And it's kind of funny because I did it in the first service. So let's say 50% of the time, maybe 60% of the time, Five years ago, when I was driving down the road and somebody had a flat tire on the side of the road, I would stop and help them 50% of the time. Right? Pat myself on the back. It's not what I'm really doing. 50% of the time. Well, why would I do that? Because I thought they needed help. Right? Then, let's say three years ago. Well, it probably came down to maybe 30%. Well, why 30%? Because in my mind, I said, well, there, there are bad people out there. They could just be acting like they have a flat tire, even though it looks like it's flat. And guess what else they have? They have a cell phone, which makes them independent so they don't need help. All right? Anybody hear what I'm saying on this one? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't need to. I don't need to. And don't hear me saying, young moms and other, you know, you're pulling over your minivan. Hey, I'm going to help you with your tire. That's not what I'm saying. Right? It's okay to be safe. It's okay to be smart. But how many situations, because of that one thing we saw on TV or that one thing we heard, do we adjust the 90% because of the 10%? So I, I would say that I see in the marketplace, we do a lot of that. We do a lot of that. Well, you know, they say we can't talk about God. We can't, can't bring it into the marketplace, which means I can have no relationships with anybody else. Can't do it. Can't do it. So let me give you an example. Probably 10 years ago now. Ten, well, maybe, whew, time flies. Long time ago, okay? So I'm working for this large electronics manufacturer, and lo and behold, we're at dinner. There are four of us. We're grown men, right? Yes, we all are men, sorry. But we're sitting at a table having dinner, or about to have dinner, and I say to the folks with me, so would you mind if I ask a blessing? Awkward pause. Well, well okay. Well, why is that such a big deal, right? They could say, no, I'm okay, I'm okay with that. So I ask if I can have a blessing. They say, sure, that's fine. So let me fast forward about 10 years, I guess. Anybody know who Steve Wozniak is? Steve Wozniak is the co-founder of Apple. So he and Steve Jobs co-founded Apple. So 10 years from the time I said, hey, you mind if I pray for our dinner? I'm sitting at the host table at a national event for this organization I work for, and Steve Wozniak sitting right next to me because he's the keynote speaker. Fascinating, right? The biggest thing that Steve Wozniak is interested in is Segway soccer. He's going to start a national, international, sorry, European Segway soccer league. And he's very excited about it. And I got very excited about it for a little while. Because <laughs> that's what you do with Steve Wozniak. And he and I sat and talked for well, the duration of the meal and all those kinds of things. And I gave the invocation or the, the blessing before the meal for like 3,000 people. It's fine. And sat back down with him. We're, we're talking about different things. And I said, well, what do you think about God? All of a sudden, he didn't have a lot to say. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't believe in God. He said, well, you know, that's kind of personal. I said, I understand that. Per Can I tell you what I've found in my life? He's like, well, sure. And we started talking a little bit, right? But it, it all came from... God using the fact that I asked because, oh, I forgot, I forgot a very key point. So one of the executives at the table of four ended up the next time we got together asking me to do a prayer for a larger group and then for a larger group and then for a larger group to the point that I ultimately became named as the Pope of this organization, <laughs> which is kind of funny. It's like, okay, I'm going to have to shave, and, uh, right? 
But the key to that whole thing was, I felt like the Lord was saying in that group of four, maybe I'll just see if I can ask a blessing. And each one of those guys, now that I'm thinking through it literally right now, each one of those guys I was able to develop a much deeper relationship with after the fact, and I still stay in touch with them. Right? All from what I felt like the Lord was saying, hey, just, just enter, let me enter in. Right? And every time I prayed, I'd ask for the Holy Spirit to be there with us. Right? So those are practical ways right, in your day-to-day of not approaching somebody and saying, let's talk about blah, 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 blah. It's just part of your lifestyle, right? Because everybody around us are eternal people. They're eternal beings. If we miss that, we've missed a lot. We've missed a lot. So the eternal matters. So let's talk about some practicals, exercising our muscles. Ask God to help you trust him more. I do that every day. I'm like, man, I always tend to end up on the other side of trust sometimes. It's like, oh, right? Do hard things. Don't like to do that these days, do we? Nobody's ever liked to do hard things, but we did them anyway, right? How many times do we look at a situation and say, well, I could do that, but Tuesday would be good when it's Sunday, right? So we put off hard things, do hard things. Take relational risks of service. Stop and ask if you can help somebody on the side of the road. Or, you know, when you see somebody who's struggling, hey, how can I be of service? Keep your eyes up. Quick example, I'm a Menards fan. Anybody else in the room a Menards fan? Thank you, appreciate that. That's great. Yep, there you go, I know. My father-in-law, he's, man, I think he put it into the bloodstream, which is good. Um, So, yeah, I was at Menards yesterday, and I'm walking out of Menards, and I've just made it a common practice to say hello to people. Good morning, how are you? You know, those kinds of things. And I engaged this person just with a simple hello, and he looked at me like, hello. And literally, it came across to me as perhaps for a long period of time, he had not been engaged relationally with anyone. Do do we know that there are people in life that are that way? They're kind of like relational orphans to a degree. And that's okay, right? But it's, it's not God's plan, right? And so just acknowledging and engaging was a big deal, right? And hopefully brightened his day. Now, Did I pursue, pray for? No, I just engaged him, encouraged him. And I said, I hope you have a great day. He said, well, thank you, thank you, right? We see people that are in front of us, eternal beings, important, I think. The Lord's joy is our strength. Sometimes we take life too seriously, jump down to the last one, have more fun, right? (laughs) The other thing I've struggled with off and on in life is comparison, right? Which says, I got a B plus on this test. That means I'm not as good as the other people that got A's. Well, maybe, or it could be that's just not my... Or it could be I didn't put forth the effort. Can you believe that? Yeah. But why do we have to compare ourselves all the time? Right? Do the best you can. Love people well. And have fun. It's okay. It's okay. Right? So I think those are some things that you can look at to exercise your muscles in the marketplace uh, on a daily basis. Next slide. We're almost there. So some other things that I've seen in the marketplace that I think have made a huge difference in... One of the reasons that we grew so quickly was because I think we had context, clarity, and ultimately we defined our mission from an influence standpoint. We came up with six guiding principles that were biblically based. Okay, So six guiding principles going everywhere from we seek first to serve to we operate our business in a manner that will make our parents proud to if we commit to something we follow through to we give back to the community generously because it's the right thing to do. Right? Those kinds of statements, interestingly enough, transition from the workplace to home life, too. So people's lives were able to be changed and influenced because of that clarity. Right? But one of the things that I saw in the workplace that I thought was really sad is the fact that we have a really difficult time separating the person and the issue. So something happens, right? and all of a sudden it's about Steve. Well, you know, Steve, he's a bad egg. Well, you know, blah, 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 right? We have to be able to look at that and say, you know, Steve's eternal. The issue is not. Let's separate the two, and let's talk about them as though they are separate. Does that make sense? And if we can do that, then we end up having influence because people feel safe to be who they are. So trust God enough to take complete ownership for all of my words, actions, and attitudes. That's a biggie. Ownership says, because I made that statement, 
and it then carried on to another person and another person another person, I need to go say that I did all that. Instead, well, I, I didn't know that it would, right? Don't explain it to me. Take ownership for it and go fix it if you can, right? But take ownership. We, because we are believers, should have more courage in the marketplace to take ownership than anybody else, right? And if we don't, why do we think people are going to think we're different? Why do we think people are going to want to follow the Lord and Savior that we follow? It's crazy. It just doesn't work. Okay, be the first to extend forgiveness and compassion no matter what it looks like. I'm getting really good at this in marriage, right? So here's what I used to always think I can only apologize if I really think I did something wrong. You're like, man, you're killing me now, right? Here's what you can do. Don't, don't be disingenuous, right? But it's okay to say, I'm really sorry for this situation. What can we do so that I can understand a little bit more about how you see it and how I see it and see if we can reconcile in some way? It's okay to do that. Don't feel like you have to say, I was wrong, and then in the back of your mind you're like, I really wasn't, I really wasn't. I just want this to go away. Right? Don't do that. Right? I'm sorry for the situation. Let's talk through how we can move forward because you're more important to me than the situation. Okay? Okay, we're almost done. A couple more things. Leadership. If you're in leadership, one of the best things you can do for people is tell them the truth in grace. If you're in leadership, one of the worst things you can do for people is cloak it so that on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, you're saying, Chad, you're doing great. You're really doing great. You're doing great. And then you get to your annual review. Well, Chad, right? That's the yes, but. Sorry, I used you. Steve? 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 I trust our friendship, right? Be clear with people, right? You can encourage them along the way by saying, you know, here's what we're shooting for, and here's where you are. It's okay that maybe this isn't for you. Does that make sense? And by the way, leaders that don't address people that way, you don't think other people around you see that? And what's the most important part of a relationship? Trust. Okay. Colossians 3, 23, 24. Whatever you do, work with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord you're serving. Amen? That's a good reminder for me. So, I'm going to wrap things up here. We got one more? Yeah. The eternal things in life matter. Jesus and your relationship with him, right? That's really important. That's what everything else builds from, right? People and your ability to influence their eternal destiny because Jesus loves them too. No matter how much the person that you don't seem to see eye to eye with speaks badly about you, treats you unfairly, no matter how much that happens, God still wants that person to be with him eternally. He doesn't, he doesn't make junk, right? So no matter what the circumstances are that are between you and that person, anything that you can do to show them eternity, to show them the kingdom, can potentially be used by God. And if you ask him, I would tell you, he'll tell you how to do that. He will. You just have to ask him. It's not easy. Um, the quality of a life well lived is based on our ability to trust in the Lord no matter what we see in our circumstances. I found that in my life. I've been through situations where we thought large things were happening in a very positive way, and they crashed to the ground. I'm like, what in the world? And three years later, I look back and go, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Dodge that bullet, right? Everything else is circumstantial. Everything else is circumstantial. The reason Lori and I believe in transforming groups is because we're small groups. We're going to launch those next week, two weeks, two weeks. She's more on the calendar than I am. We're going to launch those in two weeks. Sign-ups. Sign-ups for those in two weeks. The reason small groups are so important is you develop context with people. You share life, right? Then you can begin to develop a clarity in your mission. 
individually and in the workplace, marketplace, and ultimately influence not only those in your small group, but those that are in your sphere of influence. Right? That's important. If not, we can kind of start to whoop off to the side. So my last piece to share with you is this. I mentioned that I stepped down, retired, whatever you want to call it, about this time last year. And the reason that I did, one of the reasons, was because my father had been fighting Parkinson's for a number of years, 10 plus years. And my mom's here this morning. And uh, I felt like the Lord told me that uh, I had the opportunity to, to accept a gift of like nine months or a year with him. I didn't know what the timing was, right? And I said, you know, I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to step out and spend the time with him. And what I realized during that time was we all have a season. Each one of us has a season in life. And what is it we do with that season? Right? There's this thing, and you know, the, the funny thing, so to speak. This is when my father was born, and this is when he went to be with Jesus. And this dash... I'm standing here today as fruit, I hope, of that dash. I represent that dash. Our boys represent that dash. Right? A life well lived. And what is it we're really doing with our lives if we're not pointing people to eternal things? I think our adversary is great at circumstances. Right? But do we take the time to truly want to look for the eternal in the midst of the circumstantial things around us? So I would just encourage you this morning that each one of you has more influence than you think you have. You have more circles than you think you have. And this is not about getting more circles or more people in your circles, right? It's about living an authentic life for Jesus and being able to get up every morning what I try to do and say, Lord, what is it you want to do in and through me today? And help me to have my eyes up to see what you're doing. And if I can be a part of what you're doing, I want to do that. And if you want me out of the way, kick me out of the way, right? And then do it the next day. And then do it the next day. And it's amazing what God does that I've seen in my life. So thank you for this morning. Seth, are you going to do some ministry time? If you have things in your life that are not clear, right, that you want to be able to kind of sort through. Um, or maybe Lori's going to come up. Or maybe I'll just be up here. If anybody wants to pray, uh, I'll be up here and happy to get to know you a little bit better and pray with you. But I uh, really feel like God does his best work when we're clear about who we are, who he says we are, and uh, the things that, um, that, that he has planned for us. So thanks for this morning, and I hope you have a great week.